You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Ladies and gentlemen, your attention please. Now batting for Fantasy Sports Radio Network, Fan Rock Fantasy Baseball, the host, Al Melchior. Fan Rock Fantasy Baseball. Welcome everyone to FanRag Fantasy Baseball, and yes, I am your host, Al Melchior. Joining me today from FanRag is Jessica Kleinschmidt. We got lots to talk about, including a little bit of late-breaking rotation news uh, that I just caught on Twitter just a few minutes uh, before coming on air here. Jessica, how are you doing today? I'm good. I've, I've already been to two baseball games this week, so I'm happy. Get out. So I take it. Those I are have. Reno Aces games? Well, there was one Reno Ace game, and it was an exhibition game against the local uh, college. And then a friend of mine was in town playing Nevada, so I made sure to go to that. So I've already gotten two games in, and then opening day for the home for you know their home opener is going to be on uh, Tuesday or Thursday, one of those days. So I'm just, I'm so excited. I went to media day, interviewed a couple of the guys. So I'm just, I'm like so excited and ready to go. Well, I think we're going to talk about that a little later on because I, I don't know if this was media day, but I saw that you put on Twitter that you talked to Anthony Banda, uh, and mm-hmm. that was a great interview. So uh, I'm hoping you can give us uh, a, a little bit of a, a sneak peek into uh, that interview that you had with him. Uh, I can. That's excellent. That is great news. Maybe some other things. So um, mm-hmm. looking forward to that, Jess. But as I said at the uh, at the outset here, we got some uh, some news to cover lot going on in, in yesterday's games and even in the uh, afternoon games today. And you and I both have uh, some recent work to talk about. You had your, your media day interviews, also a piece on Joey Gallo that we'll get to. Uh, coming up on FanRag later today, I will have a start-sit column and uh, talk about a few players from that. So with no further delay, let's get started with all this. And as I uh, teased, there is some late-breaking pitching news. Rich Hill has a blister that is putting him on the 10-day disabled list. So uh, the expectation is that he will be on for just the minimum 10 days. But, uh, you know, as we've talked about on the program before, blisters sometimes aren't as uh, simple or uh, harmless as, as they might seem, and they can keep you know pitchers out for multiple turns. So uh, that's, if you're a Rich Hill owner, that's not necessarily uh, great news. And Alex Wood is the likely replacement in the Dodgers rotation. So, again, it could be just a short-term thing for uh, Alex Wood. But how does this news uh, change your uh, your views on Hill and Wood, if it changes anything at all? Well, with Hill, it's always – I mean, I don't want to say he – I feel like he's made of glass, but he kind of – I feel like he's made of glass. But then you mentioned – these blister scenario, I mean, we, I've, I haven't physically seen what this looks like, but obviously a guy like Rich Hill who's been in the game for long enough to know his body, to know how it's going to react, there's something behind it. So I'm assuming it's obviously going to be affecting his pitching. But like you mentioned, it could be a 10-day DL stint. It could be three rotation stints. You don't really know. So it's definitely something that I like to keep my eye on. But this doesn't really change my mind in regards to it. If you were to be picking up Rich Hill in any of your – of your leagues, he's probably not going to be your number one ace kind of scenario. So obviously you have other options, but I like him obviously. And I think he's, um, 
you know, very consistent and uh, just love watching him play and his ERA is very low and everything like that. So it doesn't really change my views too much um, in regards to him, but obviously this certain scenario keeps happening. I don't know if it's just because of how his hands are, how his body's reacting to something, but I mean, when I go running and I have a blister, I feel like it's the end of the world. You know, I get one on my on my heel every single time. And it's just like the end of the world and I can't stand it. So it really depends on how his body reacts, but I'm not yeah. too worried about it. Well, well, yeah, well, you know, pitching with a blister, it is sort of the, the end of the world. I mean, it makes it very hard to, to grip and, and command the pitches. And, you know, we've seen these kinds of issues before. Uh, this came up on the show earlier in the week. I can't re- recall which day, but, uh, you know, I was talking about how uh, anytime there's a, a, a blister situation, I think of Josh Beckett because I remember – during his mm-hmm. time with the Marlins, I mean, he would just miss, you know, weeks at a shot uh, because of blister issues. And you think he just missed one start and he just, you know, couldn't get them under control. So it, it's, it can be a very frustrating thing for the pitcher and uh, and for the pitcher's uh, fantasy owners. But I just wish there was some way to keep Alex Wood in the rotation. I certainly don't want Rich Hill to miss a lot of time because, like you said, he's he's a valuable pitcher. Maybe not a number one, but, uh, you know, certainly I think number three starter. Uh, but Alex Wood, I think, has the potential to be, you know, maybe number four, number five starter in mixed leagues. Mm-hmm. So it'd be nice to see them both get a chance. But you know, this maybe this at least opens the door for Alex Wood. Uh, moving on to some other injury news, some good news for David Price. He is uh, set to throw his first uh, bullpen session, and uh, according to the Boston Herald. He is uh, potentially on track for a mid-May return. That's the best-case scenario is mid-May, but it's not, you know, as if Price has been set back to the point where that that's been ruled out. So it's it's some mild good news for David Price. Garrett mm-hmm. Richards, we're looking for more news from him. He's getting an MRI today. He had the biceps cramp. He says that he's not worried at all. And Jeff Fletcher of the Orange County Register said that the MRI is is precautionary. So everybody is. Soft peddling this situation with Garrett Richards, but uh, I know I would breathe easier once we hear what the MRI results are on Richards. Um, mm-hmm. Do you have any trepidation about using Garrett Richards uh, at this point with the biceps issue on top of, you know, the elbow uh, issue going back to last year? I mean, when it comes to him, he's the key, one of the key members of like, if he's healthy, he's effective. And that kind of is where it comes down to. But you see these pitchers who have multiple surgeries, like a Steven Matt scenario where it's like a Tommy John, it's a bone spur, it's all kinds of things, but you still don't get too worried about him. Right. And I think that's where I am at with uh, Garrett Richards. I didn't, you know, get him in any of my leagues, but he's definitely a guy that it's always in the back of my mind. If he's like left over in a certain round, I could, I would easily snagged him. I just didn't have that scenario this time around. But like I mentioned, he is one of those guys you're constantly, it's like a Michael Brantley situation. It's like, if he's healthy, absolutely. I'll go in all in on him. But with, with scenarios like this, there's some hesitation there. Yeah. I will say, I look at this situation at least as of right now. And, you know, maybe a week or two from now, I'll, I'll feel differently about it, but Michael Brantley, because of the shoulder injury and the duration of it and how we've seen shoulder injuries really sap uh, the power from, from other hitters, I'm, I'm still a bit skeptical about Michael Brantley. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, and I, I would not be that eager to start him in even a five, five outfielder league uh, until I could see exactly how he's progressing this season. Richards, I mean, we've seen he... And his first start out looked looked pretty good. I mean, he was lifted early because of the biceps issue, but looked good while he was in there. And mm-hmm. uh, you know that that was a very encouraging sign for me uh, for Richards to just go ahead and 
and roll with him, uh, like you said, as long as he's healthy. Right. Good news for Keon Broxton, or as, as good as could be expected. Uh, actually, yeah. during the show yesterday, the, the news came through that he had been uh, hit in the face with the pitch. Uh, he is not going to the DL, though. He just has a small nasal fracture. So uh, I would have to say, all things considered, that's, that's very, very good news for Keon Broxton. Uh, mm-hmm. There is flu going around the Red Sox clubhouse. So if you've been watching uh, the Red Sox uh, and the Pirates uh, actually going on right now, I was watching that a bit to just before the show. They've got a bit of a, a strange lineup out there. Uh, you got Mookie Betts with the flu, uh, Hanley Ramirez, and then you also have Xander Bogarts uh, out uh, uh, for the weekend uh, with a family issue. So, uh, but uh, Bogarts is expected back Monday, and and uh, Ramirez and Betts should be back uh, soon. They're they're both day to day. John Heyman reports in FanRag Sports that uh, the Mets actually did consider signing Mike Pelfrey um, before he uh, he signed on. Uh, and I'm trying to remember was it, I think it was the Twins. And no, I'm actually not trying to remember. I'm having an absolute brain cramp here who uh, Pelfrey signed that minor league deal with. Um, but the, the uh, I'm, but anyway, I'm sorry. So uh, the Mets did consider Pelfrey, and then he signed with the White Sox. And uh, now they're still looking at Doug Fister because of, mm-hmm. you know, the loss of the pitching depth with uh, Seth okay. Lugo. Um, so uh, how, what do you think about uh, Doug Fister uh, as a potential piece of depth and again you know we're, we're just talking you know pretty much depth here not somebody who's even guaranteed to stick in the rotation but uh you know, any... depth is the key word depth yeah. is definitely the key word i i like the idea of fister and that's kind of where it stands i like the old fister the one that was like okay like tiger's type of a fister definitely but that was millions of years ago it seems um astros was rough for him but like like you mentioned deep situation kind of an emergency scenario but beyond that it's it's not the, he's not the same Doug Fister that we used to watch and, and and have fun watching. So yeah, no, definitely not. And it seems like his his skill set is eroded bit by bit, where he wasn't getting the ground balls to the same degree. And then last year, he really didn't pitch with great control with the Astros. But he did have he had great numbers against righties. Um, that's not necessarily enough, or probably isn't enough to make him fantasy relevant again, even if he does sign with the Mets. Uh, but, you know, they, they really desperately need some, some depth now because Lugo was, you know, really sort of the, uh, the fallback option there with Matt's already out of the rotation. So that'll be uh, an interesting one to follow, but not, not a huge fancy impact. Uh, maybe a little mm-hmm. bit more impact with this tidbit also from John Heyman that Rene Rivera may become uh, Noah Syndergaard's personal catcher. And the reason that's relevant is because last year, I don't believe there was any pitcher who came close to Syndergaard in terms of the number of stolen bases that he allowed. And, of course, you know, he teamed up with Travis Darno for a lot of those. Travis Darno is, you know, notoriously very uh, uh, generous, I guess we could say, <laughs> with, uh, with base runners, uh, not very good at throwing them out. So Rivera significantly better. So that that could uh, be something that actually adds just a, not that he needs it, but, you know, something that could add a little right. bit of value. Renoa Syndergaard. Mm-hmm. So. I like Rivera. I, I, I watched him play so much. And, um, you know, he's, I thought he was honestly going to retire and be done with it a few years ago because I actually spoke to him when he was playing in AAA. 
And they gave him an offer to kind of, you know, opt out. And he was mm-hmm. considering it. He was like, do I want to keep playing or do I want to make the $7 million buyout? And he kept going for it. And then he, he got his promotion. So I'm really glad he stuck with it because a few years ago, he was just ready to kind of quit. I was did a story on it, but he was like, no, I don't really think I want to talk about it right now. And then he got his promotion. So I'm just glad that he's still, you know, kicking around. So good for him. Yeah, and again, you know, could have uh, in an indirect way a fantasy impact uh, for for Mm -hmm. Garden, maybe the Mets staff as a whole. And one more tidbit from John Heyman uh, from his Inside Baseball column on FanRag Sports. The Nationals organization was not unanimous over the selection of Blake Trainin as the team's closer. Mike Mm -hmm. Rizzo, the GM, was very much in favor of it. I guess the the front office uh, was in favor of it, but uh, in other parts of the organization – uh, the opinion was more split and there was, uh, you know, there was certainly support for Coda Glover and we were, you know, getting those reports that Dusty Baker wanted Coda Glover. So does this make you any more hesitant to roster Blake Trainin, knowing that there's some uh, dissensions, probably too strong a word, but at least some division in the organization about who should be closing out games? I mean, of course, because at the end of the day, the big guy has, you know, sometimes the, the final say, and it depends on, you know, the organization, of course, but I mean, I'm, I'm kind of glad he, you know, got his start. He's been doing well. And it's, it's funny. I like this week, like the first or second week of opening day because, or opening week, because the numbers are just outrageous, you know, on, on fan graphs. It's always fun to look at, but um, Blake training, I mean, he did okay, you know, but like, you're right at the end of the day, if these guys are going to be making decisions where it's like, oh, I'm hesitant to start him or, you know, he did happen. And rarely are they going to say, oh, you know what, end up working in, in the favor. So front office communication sometimes worries me as far as, you know, that scenario goes. So I could see it in the back of my mind, but I think he's doing well and I think he's he could continue playing well. But, I mean, you never really know when it comes to some of those scenarios. Right. Well, yeah, the thing with training, yeah, he, he uh, you know, has pitched well so far, you know, very limited uh, exposure very early in the season. But this is somebody who has had control issues at times. And, I, and I've talked in past uh, podcast episodes about how I, I do like training in that kind of, you know, middle section of tiers for closers, like not a guy that you're going to have to spend a lot of money for, but definitely a lot of upside potential there. But, you know, there's mm-hmm. there's a floor there, too. That's pretty low. And. Uh, you know, this worries me a bit that maybe it means he has a shorter leash as a result. So, you know, just something to tuck mm-hmm. away there. But, you know, certainly not somebody who mm-hmm. comes into the fantasy season as a high-end option to begin with. So, uh, well, Jess, uh, we've got some scores, as I alluded to earlier, to check in on. Uh, lineups coming in, weather report, all that. Plus, we'll take a look at the standouts from Thursday's play right when we come back from... Welcome back to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I am your host, Al Melchior, and my guest today from FanRag Sports is Jessica Kleinschmidt. And as promised before the break, we've got a lot of uh, player performances from Thursday to go over. We've got some current uh, day, current minute uh, things to uh, update you on in terms of weather and lineups and game scores. But before all that, just a quick word here about rotoexperts.com. The rotoexperts.com exclusive edge in-season fantasy baseball package is your ultimate bench coach for the 2017 season. Stay ahead of the pack with our in-depth statistical breakdowns, trend analysis, and player insights. Become a waiver wizard and learn how to scan the numbers like a roto scientist. We help you set the ideal lineups every week 
And this season, you get to build a fantasy training staff with our new injury advisor powered by InsideInjuries.com. Get the RotoExperts.com exclusive Edge in-season fantasy baseball package now and start soaring to the top of the standings. Enter promo code FREERADIO, that's one word, FREERADIO, at checkout for a special discount. All right, Jess, well, let's uh, take a look at the weather. You know, this is fun. Get to uh, pretend that you know, we're in front of that green screen with, uh, you know, mm-hmm. all the you know, Doppler stuff. Point, point, pointing random places and Exactly. Things. I'm doing that right yeah. now. You can't, you can't see it, but uh, taking a look <laughs> I at it. I feel it. I feel it. Well, this is courtesy of the uh, Roto Grinders uh, MLB weather report from Kevin Roth. And great, great news. Uh, there is no significant threat of rain anywhere on the schedule today. Uh, I don't know about the uh, games that are being played indoors, but we don't care about that. But uh, for the games being played outdoors... <laughs> Sunny skies everywhere, so you don't have to worry about that for your DFS lineup or uh, your daily lineups that you may be setting. Uh, so, uh, and speaking of uh, DFS, Jess, how's uh, how's that going for you so far this year? I think this is yeah, this is the first time we've had you on the show since opening day. So, how's that going? Yeah, it's been good. I'm I'm loving it. I'm loving it. We, the weather is a huge factor. They're um, especially if they're playing a game down in Tampa. That was something that we were talking about as far as uh, Francisco Liriano starting on the bump down there. And, and stuff like that. I just love DFS so much. And it's just been such a blast to kind of get back in there and change it up a little bit. So it's been good. I'm just, I'm just happy. I love, I love the beginning of baseball season. And because it's funny, like there's, you're mentioning weather and somebody was talking about like all these minor league games that are getting rained out. And I feel like you can't start a baseball season unless, you know, you have postponements of games. So consider <laughs> it part of the situation. It's all part of it, all part of the beautiful game of baseball. So it's been good, but the April weather is always very unpredictable. So that's what's kind of interesting about this part of the season. Yeah, well, and you know, another cool thing about opening week, lots of day baseball. So we've got three games already in progress. And uh, uh, we've got the uh, Dodgers and Rockies uh, set to start uh, at the end of the hour uh, out in Denver. But uh, good, good game so far. we got the Pirates leading the Braves 4-1, to one, sort of an early exit for Mike Fultonevich, not his best start. But Ivan Nova has gone six strong innings, just one, the one run allowed, and it was an unearned run. No walks. So uh, I should have pulled up the tweet, but I'll give you the, the basic idea. Uh, Jason Collette tweeted that Ivan Nova, since going to the Pirates in August, I think he has a total, I want to say two walks. It might not be that, but it's, it's a very, very low total. Uh, maybe over the next mm-hmm. break I can actually I can pull that up and, and, and verify what that number is. But, I mean, he's just... You know, he makes Bartolo Colon just look wild and out of control with uh, the, mm-hmm. the lack of walks. So he's continuing that streak uh, uh, into this game. So a good start for, for Ivan Nova. And in terms of uh, lineups coming in, we've got all the lineups, of course, for the day games. We've even got several of the uh, 7 o'clock Eastern lineups. And we've got one 8 o'clock, uh, the White Sox, facing the righty Phil Hughes. And uh, we've got Lurie Garcia playing in center field there. So I know that uh, uh, there are some fans out there of the speed potential of Lurie Garcia. Uh, Nando DeFino, our friend, is is one of them. Uh, Otherwise, pretty much a normal lineup there for the White Sox. So let's uh, take a step backwards here and go back to yesterday's results. Uh, A lot of... uh, well, a lot of uh, power, but they, the home runs came in pairs, typically. <laughs> so we had Matt Kemp with two home runs uh, against the Mets, both against Matt Harvey. 
and he's now batting mm-hmm. 462. I probably shouldn't even mention batting averages after three or four games because that's just silly. But it's mm-hmm. a good start for Matt Kemp. So uh, is this just, do you think, uh, just uh, the streaky Matt Kemp being streaky? Or, uh, well, I mean, the thing, the thing with, yeah, I mean, I like Matt Kemp from a DFS perspective because he is so streaky. There's times where I'm, I'm all about him and, you know, I'll stack him with Freddie Freeman, stack him with obviously Dansby Swanson. But if you're going to have those three guys on your lineups, you're going to be wanting to spend a lot of money. But there were times where he would come in so clutch for me. But you did mention he is streaky. Season long, I'm not high on him because you mentioned you don't really, it's like a box of chocolates, like, like Francis Galeriata, you do not know who you're going to get when it comes to those two players. So it's kind of with, with that scenario, but I mean, why not have a little bit of like the brush your shoulder off being able to hit two bombs off of Matt Harvey, who of course was talked up extremely well this time around. And, you know, you shouldn't sleep on those Braves bats anyway, but yeah, it was definitely something amazing to watch and good for Kemp, man. I mean, after he had a lot of drama going on and landing on the Braves, we're all kind of holding our breath to see what happens. And I think he's making him well known there. Well, I'm I'm waiting for May with Kemp because I don't know why this is. It's got to be coincidence because I can't think of right a, a systemic reason why he is so terrible in May every yeah. single year. Uh, but that that's going to be part of a test for Kemp because we both categorized him as, as streaky, but he's just been pretty good overall since coming to the Braves last year. So uh, mm-hmm. maybe just picking up right where he left off. And just a quick note on Harvey. Now he gave up the, the two bombs to Kemp, but the only other hit he gave up was a single and he lasted six and two third thirds innings. Uh, so four strikeouts with those uh, two runs from the Kemp solo homers. That's it for Harvey. So you might just look at the, the Matt Kemp line and think, Oh, this is not a good sign for Matt Harvey, but I think it's actually highly encouraging. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And, and you know, it's, I take the first and second week numbers with a grain of salt with some of these guys. So that's definitely something that I'm keeping in my, my eye on, too. Yeah, well, and, and Harvey, you know, more than the typical player, uh, you know, coming off of the uh, thoracic outlet syndrome uh, surgery. So, uh, you know, that's you know, certainly if, if he had a bad game, you could, you know, chalk it up to uh, rust or, you know, coming back. But uh, I think very, very good sign there for Matt Harvey. Yasiel Puig, another one with two home runs, uh, both off of Jared Weaver. And there was a tweet from Hank Schulman, the uh, Giants beat writer from the uh, San Francisco Chronicle, said something to the effect of, uh, you know, Puig should have hit those pitches from Weaver out of the park because, you know, we know that Weaver doesn't throw with any velocity and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, they were, they were pretty straight pitches. So, um, you know, does, does – are you in agreement with uh, Hank Schulman on this one, or do you think we should give Puig a little little bit more credit? I think we should give him a little bit more credit. I think, you know, I mean, it's always kind of a, a question mark in the next, the first couple of weeks of play, but I think I really had a lot more, I guess, positive vibes towards the Osceo Puig this year. I think last year was a huge, I guess, humbling season for him, you know, obviously getting demoted and kind of learning the lesson that way. And the, the attitude problem and of course they didn't want him on the team at one point so I think he's kind of concentrating on you know being able to stay with this team and play well and you know he's always had talent it's just some of those off-season issues got in the way and then um he of course became a dad maybe that had something to do with it I don't know of course probably not but I think we definitely need to give him a little bit more um you know positive vibes and I think he's Giving, give him a little bit more credit than kind of what people are doing but I understand where some people are coming from because it is Yasiel Puig let's be honest well, yeah, and, and, you know, we talk about Matt Kemp being 
hard to predict. And, and Puig, you know, similarly, uh, maybe more consistency in a negative way the last couple of years just hasn't really uh, gotten hot. But, you know, still young, still showed incredible upsides the first couple of seasons in the majors. So I'm certainly not ready at this point to write him off or, you know, dismiss this two-homer performance. And he's now got three homers on the season. So uh, those weren't his only two homers date. So, you know, when you think of big power, maybe you think of Puig, maybe you think of Kemp. And then there's Daniel Nava. <laughs> he had a two-homer <laughs> against the Reds. And just like with Kemp, both off the starting pitcher who was Rookie Davis. So a uh, not very good major league rookie debut for Rookie Davis um, against the Phillies. And uh, I'll be flat-out honest and say that at some point I knew that Nava was the Phillies and then – I forgot. It's like, oh, Daniel Nava, he's on the Phillies. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I just don't even see where the opportunity is for Nava there. But, you know, he did get the start. And uh, this certainly won't hurt in Nava's bid to uh, carve out some sort of role there. But No, I mean, there's it. no fantasy upside for him. There's none. I think we're just happy for him. And I wrote that just last night. I'm like, cool, you know, good for him, but don't go crazy as far as the fantasy aspect. And Ricky Davis, and I'm, I guess the nicest way to say it is he's not very good. And I'm not saying, like, he didn't throw an awesome pitch or anything like that. But, I mean, going into this game, he was on the slate, and a lot of guys in the, and girls in the community were like, we're staying away from him, absolutely. But as in regards to novice situation, great, you got two bombs. The fantasy aspect isn't there. There's no upside for him. But we are proud of you, this kind of scenario for me. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it'll be a cool story if it goes anywhere beyond this, or just a cool story even just for today that he got the two home runs. But um, let's uh, before we go into the next break, uh, Ryan Zimmerman got his uh, hit his second home run. There were stories going into the season that he had reworked his uh, swing path, uh, looking for more loft. You know, it's a kind of a common storyline we're seeing. But um, you know, is the are you starting to get interested in, in Ryan Zimmerman? I mean, yes and no. When it comes to to Zimmerman, it's difficult for me. Um, he's got the he's got like mediocre power, so that that's kind of where it comes for me. So when I I mentally went into it, it's like okay, he's got some power, but then when he does that, I'm like okay, well now I have to really think about it. So I think I would I would still like to watch him a little bit more. I'm not completely sold on him quite yet. Yeah, no, I mean it's it's early. It's a break, a wait and see kind of scenario. But the fact that the reality of the early performance is matching up with the preseason narrative. It's pretty cool. And uh, we got uh, a couple tweets, or I should say we got one tweet about uh, Zimmerman. Uh, we've got a head to break, but when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about Zimmerman and some of the other standouts from Thursday right when we come back. Welcome back to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I am your host, Al Melchior, and with me today is Jessica Kleinschmidt, also from FanRag Sports. And uh, you had to go to break, but we were in the middle of a little Ryan Zimmerman conversation, and uh, that being spurred by the fact that he hit his second home run of the season on Thursday uh, against the Marlins. Two for four performance for Zimmerman. So having a nice start to the year, and we got a Twitter question from at the rogue button. And he apparently is interested in Ryan Zimmerman too. He asks if he should pick Zimmerman up. And if so, drop either Shinsu Chu or CJ Krohn. 
I wish I had uh, gotten back to at the rogue button and asked him or her what uh, type of league this was, uh, how many teams, Mm -hmm. because if it's a standard 12 team mixed league, to me, it's a no brainer that you drop crone for Zimmerman because I think crone is not quite up to par for that type of league. And, you know, I don't know if Zimmerman's going to be better than Crone or not. I suspect actually that he will. But even if he's not, you know, that's the the type of league where, you know, you could discard Zimmerman if uh, he he cools off and, you know, get, you know, uh, somebody probably as good or better than Crone. But if it's uh, 14-15 team mix, that's a tougher call. Uh, Mm -hmm. I guess even in in that one, it's a tougher call. I think I'd still lean Zimmerman. How about you? Yeah, I would, and I, I, I'm kind of hoping they stay away from Chew. I really like Chew a lot. Um, so I'm right there with you. I think that the best option would be to drop Chrome. Okay, well, uh, throw a button. There you go. Go pick up Zimmerman. Let Chrome go. Uh, just a couple other hitting uh, performances that are worth some mention. JT Real Muto went three for four in that same game against the Nationals. Uh, three for four with a home run. So that's his second game in a row with a home run. And in every one of the three games of that series, he had a multiple, uh, multiple hit game. So obviously Real mm-hmm. Muto off to a smoking hot start. And, th- you know, I mean, nothing should surprise me in a three-game series. I mean, we've seen weirder things from much lesser players over, you know, two weeks, three weeks in a row. Uh, so I shouldn't be blown away by a great series by JT Real Muto, but home run power was not something I was expecting from him. He already two home runs. I figured he'd probably be in the single digits this year. So he's already, you know, gotten himself, himself off to a good head start on, you know, mm-hmm. 10 home runs or more. Uh, is that something you could foresee for Real Muto uh, breaking into double digits, maybe even being a 15 home run guy? Yeah, I actually, I absolutely do see that. He's not really going to be known for his power, but I could see him getting about 15, you know, home run range. Uh, last season, he had around 10 or 10 or 11 or something like that. So I could definitely see that he's going to be hitting above 300 as far as his average goes. And, you know, I love that team overall. It was just a fun series to watch. Um, but yeah, I could see him, you know, making himself, I guess, one of the top power hitting catchers which is you know there's very few and far between so i think he'll make his mark for sure this year especially i mean i think that whole team is going to do something amazing to be honest yeah i'm i'm going to take the other side of that one because i mean while i do think that real muto could could get into double digits and i think 15 is probably the absolute upside even with you know mm-hmm. two in his back pocket going into the second series of the season that um you know there, there's a you know a cluster of these guys and we've we've talked about them a lot the the Brian McCanns and Evan Gaddises, uh, well and Castillos, Matt Weeders, Ismani uh, mm-hmm. Grandal. I mean that's just you know and there's a few more that are pretty good bets to give you 20 home runs. Certainly more than 15 could could easily give you 20, uh, but they don't typically give you average. And if Real Muto breaks into that, if he exceeds 15 home runs. That's huge because basically then right. he's he's Wilson Contreras with stolen bases. I mean, that that mm-hmm. really kind of puts him on the doorstep of the elite for Real Muto, which is not something I, I really foresaw for him. I, I like the fact that you said that he can hit for average. He uses his speed to get infield hits in addition to getting, for from a catcher's perspective, a good number of stolen bases. So uh, this is going to be interesting to watch with Real Muto. Um. All right, well, let's uh, actually one more hitter note. I know we've got a lot of pitchers to take a look at, 
but uh, I wanted to just uh, refer to a tweet from earlier in the week from uh, Nick Pecoro of the Arizona Republic. Uh, the tweet says, David Peralta's eight at-bats have been pretty good. Yasmani Tomas's eight at-bats have been pretty awful. They're combined 0 for 16. <laughs> now, Tomas has gotten a hit. He's now 1 for 12, but he got the day off on Thursday against the Giants with Chris Herman getting the start in left field. So with the usual caveat that it's extremely early, uh, Tomas is very streaky hitter has really has mm-hmm. looked just absolutely lost at times. And uh, I know you, you know, particularly as a very, very, you know, close observer of the diamondbacks, is he somebody that you had some worries about coming into the season, Tomas? He is, especially from a season long perspective. And I think the reason why is because you mentioned he's very streaky and, you know, if he's a, a, a play we're going to do on the, the everyday type of scenario, sure, especially in that, stat, in that stack scenario. But it was a completely different team last year in regards to some of those bats. And, you know, everybody went everywhere, it seems. So he is not a guy that I'm super excited about. Another con- consistency issues really worry me, um, depending on what type of league you're in. Uh, but like you mentioned, there's times where he just can't perform. And so – the fact that it's happening so soon, I don't know if that means he's getting it out of the way or what, what that type of scenario is. And I really like him on defense, of course, but um, in the, in the batter's box, it's just, I can't really get behind him. And he, he pulls the ball a lot, which is great. But I think those, a lot of those pulled balls are going to be really high up in the air. He's a fly ball hitter. So it's definitely mm-hmm. difficult for me to get behind him. Yeah. I mean, I was, I didn't get any shares of him. Uh, at all, Tomas going into this year, and uh, yeah, it's just you know, he had a, a great year for power last year, but even mm-hmm. after that that great year, I just I just don't feel comfortable having Tomas on my roster. And I use that expression shares, by the way. And uh, there was somebody on Twitter, and I can't remember now who it was, but uh, you know who said that you know we should abolish that term. And I have to admit, I've always hated it, but I've I've adopted it as kind of if you can't beat them, join them. <laughs> kind of approach to right. it. Uh, how do you feel about the term shares uh, for, you know, describing how many teams you own a player on? Um, I think I'm, I'm used to ownership and percentages, um, but I don't, I don't hate any sort of really type of, of verbiage. I mean, I, I personally hate saying that your favorite team is you, you say we and I like, I know I'm an A's fan, but for me to say, like, we had a great game or the Diamondbacks have a good game, we did really well. Like, I hate that term more than anything. But beyond, like, the shares, percentages, ownerships, I don't really mind it too much. But I could see why people would get annoyed. But don't people get annoyed with, like, everything, I feel? Everybody's annoyed by something. I mean, on social media, you're you're eventually going to find, you know, somebody staking out a a position on – you know, a negative position on, on something, uh, you know, pretty harmless, like uh, using the term shares. But, yeah, you know, I admit it, it irked me. So on the one hand, I was glad to have a little bit of company with that. And on the other hand, feeling just a slight bit of shame for, for having given in. So, well, I mean, you've seen uh, how the people react when I say I put just ketchup on my hot dogs like they're ruthless. Well, you know, I mean, I I supported you right away because I know I, you know, I know, I know. how that is to take that position and know that the wrath that you are going to uh, expose yourself to. So I, you know, <laughs> yeah. I wanted to make sure you knew that you, you weren't alone out there and, you know, catch up only on a hot dog land. So I did have some support, but then there was still, you know, for every 10 people that are supporting you, there's, there's three or four that definitely don't have the same views as you. That's okay. It is what it is. I think you should, I think that ratio was flipped at best. 
<laughs> you're probably right actually i think i, I think I'm a little you might have gotten off easy you're right <laughs> all right well let, let's uh take a look at the pitching standouts there were several of them uh the first one probably shouldn't have been a surprise or wasn't a surprise to too many people but marcus stroman had a very nice outing uh mm-hmm. six and a third innings with six hits allowed but only one run two walks uh five strikeouts and 11 ground balls. So that's a very, um, you know, Marcus Stroman kind of uh, kind of outing mm-hmm. there. But, um, you know, I do have to wonder, I mean, again, you know, with the usual caveat, it's one start and, uh, you know, there's not a lot you can tell. But for me, this kind of epitomized the sort of the personal dilemma that I have about Marcus Stroman, because I think that there's still, you know, kind of a hangover from his minor league days. There's this expectation that he's going to grow mm-hmm. into being the strikeout pitcher. Whenever he runs off, you know, a short string of starts with a lot of strikeouts, you know, a lot of fancy owners are like, okay, there it is. But this came against the Rays, who I think are going to be one of the top two or three teams in the majors this year in strikeouts. They were one of the top last oh, year. okay. Yeah. So, you know, this is being greedy, but I was looking for more. <laughs> It was a perfectly good start. You had the ground balls, which, by the way, gets the races difficult because they're also one of the biggest fly ball hitting teams. So let's give Stroman credit for getting a lot of ground balls against a team that's not prone to hitting them. But five strikeouts and six and a third against a team that's probably going to strike out a ton. So Stroman's going to be a very, very good pitcher, probably number three starter. I just think there's a lot of people out there who are looking for even greater upside from Stroman. I'm still not sure that it's there. And one starts not going to tell us one way or the other. But are, does this perception of mine ring true for you at all? Um, or, you know, do you think people just accept Stroman for, for who he's been? I personally had a lot, have a lot of exposure to Stroman this season. And I wrote an article around Christmas. You got a lot of shares. Mainly, yeah, a lot of shares, a lot of percentages, a lot of exposure, all of, all of the terms on Stroman. And the reason why is because I remember looking at his numbers and looking at his second half splits. And I was thinking like, wow, this guy's just phenomenal. And then, of course, he was working on some of his specialty pitches that, you know, he was throwing a bit, a lot, which is really interesting to kind of get a vibe for him. So I really thought that second half was really going to help him, you know, break out this season. But I'm right there with you. I think I'm just way too, I guess, high on him and that could have a lot to do with the fact that I did write this article and I've just been shooting for him to just reach for the stars type of deal and I don't really know how to take that when it comes to these guys like you really you want them to do amazing things but we don't know what our version is of you know doing well you mentioned it was against the race he's throwing a lot of grounders which is something that you know we can we can be thankful for he has a great defense backing him up so that's always something to be thankful for but I'm right there with you I have him on this pedestal Al and I'm really scared that I'm just gonna I'm like what is he gonna do really listen Jessica Klein, like, well, Jess, I really don't want to upset Jess. Like, I really want to make sure I go out there and, and do my best, you know. But I think I'm putting a lot of pressure on him. And, you know, like I said, I have all the exposure to him, and I've been able to watch that. But he's phenomenal in the WBC. I don't care what people say. He did, he, he, I don't care if people don't like the WBC as far as performance. He did phenomenal. And, um, you know, he's becoming more dependent on that slider and producing a really solid ERA. I just think – that second half along with the WBC and then um, everything else is just really putting him a little bit higher up. But I mean, I'm right there with you. I kind of just want him to like just dominate and I we'll see what happens, but he's one of my favorites. Yeah. No, but again, it might be much to do about nothing. He's still, you know, even as he is very good, fancy picture. 
Uh, we got to go to break in just a few seconds, Jess. So this is going to be like word association, like real quick. But Andrew Triggs, uh, one run allowed, an unearned run in five and two thirds uh, against the Angels. Uh, how encouraged are you about Triggs? Um, one word, semi-encouraged. Is that one word? That's a hyphen it. Yes, hyphen Semi-encouraged. Yes, yes, semi-encouraged. <laughs> Let's go with that. Yeah, I mean, just the one strikeout, but the Angels are a team that you know don't strike out a whole lot, particularly the lineup that they put out yesterday. So I'm I'm more than some. I'm going to take the I'm going to unhyphenate it and say I'm I'm encouraged by Andrew okay. Triggs. Okay. So uh, well, we do have to head to break. We've got some relief performances to look into, and uh, you know that we've got a, a little bit to talk about just in terms of our uh, recent uh, work on uh, FanRag and elsewhere. So stick around. We will be right back. You are listening to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior, and uh, with me for the, today's show and this last segment, FanRag Sports' Jessica Kleinschmidt. And uh, Jess uh, recently wrote a piece on Joey Gallo. We're going to talk about that a little bit. It sounds like there's some upcoming work that you're doing based on some Media Day uh, interviews that you did. Uh, and uh, there's some good uh, fantasy baseball content up here right now. The Minor League Report from Jim Finch. We've got uh, a waiver wire uh, piece on uh, five players to target from our good uh, friend and colleague, Greg Jewett. So uh, go FanRag, check all of that out. And uh, I have been checking out lineups at the break. Uh, we've now got the Cubs lineup up. So if you missed Javi Baez, the good news is he's back in the lineup. So there's no John Jay. There's no Albert Elmora. You've got uh, Jason Hayward in center field. Baez at second. And... Um, the bad news is he's batting ninth behind Brett Anderson. But, you know, it's a Joe Madden thing. So what do you, what else would you expect? Right. So uh, I did promise we'd talk about some closers. We had uh, three closers, uh, or I should say two closers, getting a loss in the ninth inning yesterday. Uh, Ken Giles and Neftali Feliz. Feliz got a one-out save the night before in what looked like a blowout game uh, with the Brewers beating the Rockies. But late comeback uh, off of Taylor Youngman brought Feliz in for, to get the last out. He got the save, but then uh, gave up a Nolan Arenado home run yesterday uh, to get the loss. And Ken Giles also coming in uh, into a tie situation yeah. at the top of the ninth. He gave up two runs, so he got the loss as well. Uh, I, you know, I would think that there'd be much more concern over Feliz than Giles, but, uh, you know, I mean, Giles had his ups and downs last year, too. So, right. Jess, do you have any, any concerns about either Giles or Feliz uh, having some staying power in the closer role for their teams? I've honestly always had a lot of hesitation and apprehension towards Ken Giles, and that was because of that situation last year. There was so much attention on him, and they went over the Astros. It was very much a roller coaster, and there was the drama with Luke Gregerson. You didn't know who was going to be the save, who was going to be the close. It was just more drama than I felt needed to be. So that's what kind of stressed me out from the beginning. Um, but heading into it, it was just it was really difficult for me to watch him play. He was just blowing saves and just not doing his job. So heading into this season, I had no exposure to him. Um, and if I did, it was going to be very little. Um, so just coming, just coming into it, it was just really difficult for me. Don't get, and then, you know, the strikeouts really weren't there, um, part of the season, but heading into, uh, towards the end, his K9 rate was raised, but it wasn't anything that I was too excited about when it came to Giles. 
Yeah, I just I can't get worried about him. Um, you know, early last year. Really? When, okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and look, the thing is, I love Luke Gregerson too. I wish they could both be closers. Okay. <laughs> Doesn't mm-hmm. work that way until one of them moves to another team, but uh, or if they go by committee, which would be no good for anybody. But, but uh, no, I you know I mean Giles, he's an elite strikeout uh, pitcher, and I mean I, that word gets thrown around, but around, but he really is. I mean, he and Gregerson. I think last year were one and two, Gregerson actually being ahead of him in terms of whiff rate. Uh, but no, I mean, Giles is a big time strikeout pitcher and it's not like he's, you know, I mean, he's had control issues at times, but I mean, a lot of closers do. I just, I think Giles is going to be fine. We've seen, you know, look, we saw Mark Melanson, who's as steady as they come, blow up his first time out this year. I, I'm far, far, mm-hmm. far from True. being worried at all about Giles. Felice is a different story. Uh, because he's, you know, once upon a time, he was, uh, you know, very good closer, had the closer-like uh, peripherals. But he's always been a, a very big-time fly ball pitcher, which is not going to work out great, I think, in Milwaukee. Uh, and mm-hmm. not the strikeout pitcher he once was. And, you know, and there could be control issues there for Feliz, too. So I think he's skating on much thinner ice. Uh, but let's, let's take a positive turn here, because Wade Davis, who had a pretty bad spring i mean i don't think there's really any other way to put it is now two for two in saves uh both in the first uh, series against the cardinals so how are you feeling about wade davis were you worried about by the spring performance uh i guess if not then you're you're just uh you, know, you expected this all along but if you were worried do you think he's out of the woods no um i don't i mean if i was worried i would be holding on to that worry too much. But I mean, his numbers didn't really worry me, obviously um, kind of scenario. And like, he's in some of the same categories as Zach Britton. I've actually always kind of had some sort of love when it comes to, to Davis, but um, it's the same scenario if he can stay healthy. And that's what the big worry is. Um, I've talked about him quite a bit off and on um, mainly because of the fact where he, you know, where he's playing and, and everything like that. But I've never really been that worried about Wade Davis, no matter what his scenario is. I really like the spring numbers um, and everything like that. So I really, I'm not too, you know, hesitant, especially going up against the team that he did go up against. So I'm, I like Wade Davis. I did too. You know, and I had him ranked fifth among uh, relievers going into the season. And towards that last week or so, I really, I didn't change my rankings, but I have to admit, I, I thought about it. You know, I had my, my, Hand on the mouse. I was, you know, ready, <laughs> ready to slide him uh, down the rankings. And, uh, you know, I, I just thought, okay, this is silly. You know, go with your gut on this. And, uh, you know, and, and fortunately my, my gut so far appears to have been, been correct about it. So uh, Wade right. Davis off to a, a very good start when it actually counts. So, Jess, uh, you wrote a piece recently for FanRag on Joey Gallo. Did you glean any mm-hmm. insight in talking to him uh, that – might have been a mind changer for you in terms of uh, how you value him for fantasy. Yeah. And I know you and I talked about it um, as far as his confidence level was, he was a completely different mindset during the off season. It was literally a Joey Gow I had never seen before. Um, he was just kind of like, you know what? I think he kind of almost got, you know, kind of back down to earth between his few outings when he just got one hit last season after he got promoted. So it was interesting to see how he was between that and the fact that he may not even get any playing time with Beltre, you know, at that point, not injured. And then all those guys playing at first and the left hand, left field was kind of crowded. I think he was just mentally prepared to start in triple A and what he was doing was 
was just kind of getting ready for that. So when he did get promoted, I think he had less pressure on himself. And I think that really helps him. As silly as people yell at me for saying, like, oh, who cares about the confidence factor or whatever, especially in the DFS community. Um, from a season-long perspective, it was definitely something I like to think about. And then, um, obviously, if he keeps performing, people are going to be knocking on my door asking about him in the DFS community. And, you know, obviously, for the PCL, he did phenomenal. The guy has so much raw power, it's, it's, it's scary. But from a DFS play depending on what scenario you're in, you're not going to necessarily get, you know, points taken away from you if he does strike out and he does strike out a lot. But I think his mentality was just so much more sound, like just more at peace and everything. And then, you know, we played some Venezuela in the off season and everything like that. So I just think he was a better ball player and he figured out what he needed to work on. And I think that definitely uh, benefited him. But in my article, I was like, he's, he's probably not going to, you know, do anything. If he doesn't get promoted and doesn't do well, he's definitely going to be a lifer in AAA. So I'm glad he definitely got promoted and did his job. Yeah, well, and I will say, you know, a lot of people are quick to discount the mental part of the game, but, you know, more and more teams are hiring, uh, you know, coaches that just deal with the mental approach. And, uh, you know, I, 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 we don't have great ways to quantify it. It may not even be, you know, a, a smart thing to try to do that, but I think it definitely uh, is an important, a huge part uh, of performance. So, you know, when you can see a, a big change like that in a player's approach, I think it matters a lot. Uh, Jess, we're, we're running really short on time. So in terms of the uh, media day uh, interviews that you did, uh, is there anything out there that we can read or anything coming up that we should look for on that? Yeah, well, specifically with the Diamondbacks, um, you know, Jack Reinheimer is the short thought for the Diamondbacks. And he did a lot of work with Chris Owings, and a lot of the reports are actually having him promoted probably this month or next month, so keep an eye out for him. Okay. He's not going to hit for power, but he will get on base. Well, um, that, I just Bonda, meant, like, where, on, where online can we find it? Because we're, we're almost out of time. Oh, sure, yeah. You can find it through my Twitter, um, at KleinschmidtJD, or on Sports Not Our Yard Barker, so you can follow it there. Oh, awesome. Okay, so we got, you know, your, your Twitter address out there and everything uh, all on top of that. Uh, so uh, good job there. So, well, we, we've got to close things out here, Jess, so I'm sorry that, uh, you know, we ended very abruptly there. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, sit start column coming up online. So check it out, FanRag Sports. Have a great day, everybody. See you Sunday.